All right, we have a great episode of Side Retired coming up for you guys today. We're going to be joined by Bob Nightingale again on the podcast. So Nico, let's hit the intro music and we'll get right into this. Hello and welcome to this edition of Side Retired. It's Dylan Campione joined alongside Nico Fernandez as always. And Nico, it is that time of the year again. We are extremely excited to be joined by Bob Nightingale covering all things Major League Baseball for USA Today. Mr. Nightingale, thanks so much for joining us and welcome to the show again. Yeah, thanks. My pleasure, guys. Absolutely. This is this is a blast for us every year getting to hear the inside perspective into the baseball world. And we love hearing everything that you have to offer. And of course, Pretty fun day in baseball is in the last 24 hours, we've seen the largest contract in the history of Major League Baseball pitching side transpire. What happened? And now Yoshinobu Yamamoto is a Los Angeles Dodger. Yeah, it's almost like the Yankees were considered the favorites all along. And, uh, you know, and they were, they offered $300 million. The Mets offered three twenty five. So Dodgers said, you know what, we'll match the uh, we'll match the Mets offer. Uh, you know, about a week ago, I was talking to an agent, and he said a few years ago, uh, he always had heard that Yamamoto wanted to go to the Dodgers. And, uh, you know, they had a great meeting. And a lot of times, if you have a Japanese star, you don't want to go to a place where there's really another Japanese star. You want to be your own guy. In this case, I think being teammates with Otani uh, during the WBC and everything else, uh, you know, obviously – you know, Dodgers win every single year. He want to be a part of it. So, uh, you know, there he is. And here's a, uh, you know, $1.1 billion of contracts between these two Japanese stars. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I think that's the number that's, like, sticking out to everyone. Is that $1.1 billion. I've seen it, like, a million times on social media in the last couple of hours. Is that kind of, like, what the whole league is, like, thinking about? Are they, like, wow, like, $1.1 billion? And everyone's just, like, how is that possible? Like, are people, I know like people that are like from fan bases are upset. Is that kind of the tension around the league or is it more like they just were able to take advantage of the system and get two stars? Well, I'm sure it'll come up from the uh, collective bargaining agreement, you know, in 2026 with owners saying, hey, this can, you know, we can't compete this way. Uh, they're always going to have the big advantage. Yeah, you do have advantage. I mean, they have a TV contract worth $8.3 billion. Uh, that still runs through, I think, 2037. And, uh, you know, with the contract Otani signed, he helped them, you know, make all this happen because he deferred, you know, pretty much the whole thing, 680 to 700 million. So then, you know, trade for Tyler Glass now, sign him to the five-year extension. And then, of course, uh, here Yamamoto uh, with, with nothing deferred. So it was actually, you know, smart. On, uh, on both sides, Otani's side and the Dodgers' side. He gets to kind of avoid state taxes, which are the highest in the country, and they get to do what they want, invest that money themselves. And remember now, uh, I, don't, I don't know what Yamamoto will bring, but Otani will make the team about $50 million a year just with merchandising and licensing and everything else. Absolutely. It's always a fun thing to think about, that baseball is still a business as well, and you have to be as profitable as you can even off the field as well. But I'm always curious about – the process that goes behind, obviously, you're one of the biggest newsbreakers in the baseball world and probably have hundreds of texts coming at you every single day about a multitude of players. So 
what is that sort of, and obviously if you don't want to reveal all the secrets of the trait, but that process like of getting text messages from agents, from sources and all that information, especially in this case where it is an international player and it's an unprecedented type of free agency. Well, usually the, uh, these, uh, the sources, you know, the leaks and all this usually come from the agents by about 95%. Uh, the clubs don't usually announce these things because you got to pass a physical. So they actually, if they leaked it out, the guy flunked his physical, they're on the hook. Like, for instance, uh, you know, last year, the Carlos Correa, if the Giants had said they got Correa to a contract, they would have been on the hook for $350 million uh, instead of, you know, the agency leaking, leaking the news out themselves. So in, in this uh, this case, both are a little different. Otani's case, he kept everything private. They, went, they didn't want anything out. It was actually very professional. I think it drove people crazy that nobody knew what was going on. In Yamamoto's case, you know, then he ended up breaking the news himself on his Instagram account. In uh, Yamamoto's case, he knew everything. He knew where he was going to dinner, you know, where uh, who traveled to see him, where he was uh, stopping next. Uh, you know, there were even false reports yesterday that he was going to uh, watch the Rams game with Otani. And uh, obviously that didn't happen. So a lot of times, too, it leads to a lot of false reports, uh, especially in Otani's case where people had him going to uh, signing with Toronto, people had him flying at you know, Toronto, that sort of thing, you know, which of course never happened. So that can upset and certainly disappoint a fan base. Yeah. That's what one thing I was curious about, like how do those false reports like happen? Is it like once person like tweets out a report, like for example, Yamamoto's going to the Rams game and a ton of people just hop on it. Is it like multiple people kind of leak it? Like how do those false reports come to be, especially for like, Guys who are at like the top of the level, like I understand guys just wanting to troll on Twitter and say things. But for the guys at top, is it more like you hear it from multiple people and it just happens to be incorrect? Or is it one thing that goes viral? A lot of times it's just like one person and the person will believe, uh, you know, the wrong person and go with it. Uh, you know, for instance, I'll go back to Otani. Uh, that Friday morning, about you know, a week ago, two weeks ago now, is that, you know, he was... Uh, going to fly to Toronto uh, and a plane at night that left at nine o'clock uh, in the morning from Anaheim. So, you know, I checked with his agency and no, he's a, uh, he's in bed in, uh, in Newport beach. They're, they're not on the flight. Then later early in the afternoon, it comes out. He agreed to go to the blue Jays again. They say completely not true. He hasn't sat anywhere. And then you know, another report comes out like the plane's about to land. I didn't know that's such a thing. You know, people <laughs> still believe he was on the plane. And, of course, you know, he was on the plane. He was never on the plane. And, it's a, you know, a, a businessman from Shark Tank was on the plane. So, yeah, it just led to a uh, so much misinformation. It was kind of, you know, embarrassing for the baseball writing business. No, and I always loved your infamous tweet now of the whole, Yosh, uh Tani is not on a plane. He is not headed to Toronto. And he is not signed with yeah. the Blue Jays. And, that is now a legendary tweet that will live on forever. <laughs> yeah, just out of control. And I think just people are in such a rush to break stories. Uh, you know, they make mistakes. You know, it used to be, particularly before social media, even the internet for that matter, you know, you break your story in newspaper and then you have that scoop for an entire day. But you better be right because <laughs> everybody in the world is reading it. In this case, I think people you know, throw stuff out there, you know, take it down or say, oh, sorry about that. When social media is just as big now as a, uh, you know, as the old school, you know, newspapers.
Absolutely. And I have to ask, because I think the signing happened after we had you on, and that was the whole Arson Judge, Aaron Judge incident last summer or last winter. And I know a lot of our fan base is a Yankee fan. So was he actually signing with the Giants last year? Was that a legit possibility? And was it done? Or did it seem like he's born and bred with the Yankees and was going to stay there the whole time? He was going to stay with the Yankees. But I mean, the Giants were very serious. And uh, they thought they thought they were going to get him. They really did. And uh, so there was optimism from San Francisco and the Giants' offices. Uh, he remember he flew to San Diego at the winter meetings. They met privately with the uh, Padres, and they offered him four hundred million dollars. And uh, so the next day that that came out, uh, and so well, you know, it's possible he was signed there. Obviously, he did not make a decision. But you talked to people in that process. I was uh, with a guy the night before, uh, an executive, and he talked to Giancarlo Stanton. And Stanton told him, who told me, there's no way he's not signing with anybody except the Yankees. He wants to be in New York. But he also wants to get, you know, the highest paid price, too. So it worked out perfectly. All these teams interested. You know, he showed interest back. And uh, he got his money and got to be where he wants to be. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, again, like how we've been talking about, I think it's really hard for insiders because it's you have so many guys that you trust and that you think you trusted that. Again, everything that you said is taken like gold. Like, again, you say anything, it's instantly to me fact. Like, no matter if it's official, if it's not official, how does that process, how does that weight, like, be able to carry around when it's kind of like you're going through, like, all these different sources and you're like, okay, I got to make sure I have this, like, nice and clear and got to make sure it's correct because if not, millions of people are looking at my report and it's wrong. Yeah. So, for instance, uh, last night, you know, it comes out from uh... – uh, Jack Curry from the Yes Network, that he's not signing with the Yankees. Looks like he's signed with the Dodgers. So obviously that came from the Yankees. Uh, check with the Yankees, and they say, yeah, that's true. Uh, we, we were told he's going to the Dodgers. Still, want to double check. So check the Dodgers official. Yep, we, we got him. And then the same thing throughout the night, you know, what the, what the salary was, what the uh, uh, buyout was, no deferrals, that sort of thing. But you just be careful because people are going to remember you a lot more for being wrong than yeah. being right. No, absolutely. And no, I'm sure one of those teams that you probably had to check in at some point last night is the New York Mets, who are definitely in an interesting spot in that it seems like they're not going to pivot off to another major free agent. But obviously the richest owner in the sport, obviously as a Mets fan here, I'm definitely curious. What do you think is going to happen with the team is 2024 that sort of punt year that they sold Max Scherzer on? or does Steve Cohen have an ace up his sleeve? No, it's definitely, uh, I mean, certainly want to be competitive. Uh, so I, I think they'll still be disappointed if they don't make the playoffs, you know, at least a wild card team. Uh, but yeah, I think the reason they hired Davis Stearns was to do things right, to, to build a team like the Dodgers, where you can still have a high payroll, but you, you win year after year after year. And that wasn't happening before, you know, the, uh, the, you know, two mistakes with Scherzer and Verlander, so they had to eat half those contracts. At least they got some players back in return. And so that's what I hired David Stearns for. Uh, if they just want to spend money, you know, Steve Cohen could do that without even having a GM. So uh, I'd be very intrigued or uh, to see what happens with Pete Alonso. I just get the feeling that they don't want to keep and they want to give that long-term contract or else they would have signed it by now. So I think it's that Steve Cohen is listening to uh, his own guy, David Stearns, 
And we'll see what happens. I haven't heard his name in, in trade talks this winter, but it wouldn't surprise me at all to see it next summer. And it's hard to see him in a Mets uniform, uh, you know, in 2025, just because I think they want to make smart business deals. And I don't think they want to throw over $200 million at them. They'd rather spread it around. Yeah. And obviously the Mets aren't the only team that are kind of having to shift after Yamamoto, like the Yankees and Red Sox. I'm personally a Red Sox fan. And when Yamamoto, when I finally realized and accepted Yamamoto was never going to be a Red Sox, I was like, all right, probably looks like we're going to be last place again. You know, just kind of, you know, chalking it up. Like, is there any hope for like teams like the Yankees? Like I'm assuming Yankees are going to shift Red Sox probably going to get someone that's like, mid terrible and we're just gonna, like marking him as being good like how do those teams shift after a big guy like Yamamoto that they're invested in doesn't sign with them well I think a team like the Red Sox they may say you know what maybe we'll turn our attention to Blake Snell uh he was, just won a second Cy Young award big question on Snell is can he pitch in a big market he's pitching two small markets and uh as you know I mean I, I think Philadelphia is probably number one Boston two uh, New York's three as far as the hardest places to play. Uh, so much pressure there. So I would think that we get some starter, whether it's a uh, a Snell or a, a Jordan Montgomery, uh, if you're the boss of Red Sox, and go from there. You know, obviously, you know, it wasn't Hein Bloom's decision to trade Mookie Betts and those type of things, but they're not spending money like they used to. And, uh, and so they're being very cautious or acting more like a mid-market which is frustrating, you know, Red Sox fans, everything else. So, you know, they're, they got a good farm system now that's coming. So they're on their way. It just, you know, they're, they're doing it with, with players that people have never heard of or, you know, they're not household names. No, so I know Nico's nervous because he made a friendly wager with one of our producers that the biggest acquisition this offseason would be Whit Merrifield. And the debate so far is, is Tyler O'Neill a better baseball player than Whit Merrifield to <laughs> – that barometer already but i'm sure yeah. jordan montgomery or someone like that would certainly count as above that yeah they're like i don't want to win like this i don't want to win with tyler o'neill being our biggest acquisition and then people in our like our group chat are like arguing like tyler o'neill is better i'm like i guys that's not really what i was talking about it's more like <laughs> but merrifield has the idea not just with merrifield actually but I, it looks like hopefully i don't have to shave my beard that's kind of the friendly wager we have but <laughs> Hopefully I get to keep it, but it's not looking great as of right now. Yeah, I mean they got to get you know, I mean, everybody's dying for pitching. They got to get pitching. No, I don't see them giving away prospects to go get like a Dylan Cease, who's you know the best trade candidate out there. I don't see that. I, I would think they'd be in on, on the Blake Snell's role, the the uh, Montgomerys. I mean Montgomery's stock has really risen since uh, he helped the Rangers win the World Series, and then, you know by pitching in New York. You know, we know he can uh, be do very well in the AL East. Absolutely. Another one of those interesting guys that's going to be fascinating to see how his market developed is Cody Ballinger. Because obviously we've heard that $200 million deal floated around. Some people are comparing to Bryson Seager as opposed to a guy like Matt Olson. But where do you think that might end up? And is there any team that's really pushing hard for him? Yeah, we may be sitting here for two months and still asking the same questions. <laughs> I think he may be out there till spring training. You know, originally, he was asking for 10 years at 250. Uh, you know, nobody blinked and no one's going to pay that. He still wants over 200 million. He doesn't have an offer right now. Uh, you know, the Cubs like him, especially the way he did last year. Uh, they kind of need him. Uh, the Blue Jays have interest in him. 
but no one wants to pay $200 million. I think the big fear is who's the real Cody Bellinger, the one who played so well last year for the Cubs or the one who struggled so much the last two years at Dodgers. The other thing that makes you worry if you uh, want Bellinger is the Dodgers don't make too many mistakes. So for them to get rid of them, it's like, okay, they know something here. Uh, I think he'll be out there all winter long and maybe even the start of spring training before he signs with somebody. Um, you know, I, I thought San Francisco Giants would be a natural fit until they got, you know, the Korean center fielder Lee. So that doesn't make as much sense anymore. The Padres don't have that kind of money. I think it's going to come down to the Blue Jays and the Cubs. Yeah, in your experience, is that holding out, like, really any work? Is it just more he's, like, waiting till to see if, like, anyone will bite? Or is it like he's trying to use it more as leverage? Because – I personally think if, if no one's going to pay him $200 million now, I don't see why they pay him in March. No, but a lot of times it, it seems like when he uh, holds a guy out, it, it seems to work. Remember J.D. Martinez? I mean, he was out there for a long time. Uh, he thought he was going to get $180 million, and he got 110 And Boston finally says, hey, we'll do this, take it or leave it. So, you know, teams have to be patient too. And, uh, and sometimes you get what you want where, you know, teams – struggling uh, in spring training. They, they realize they have a need. They say, okay, this guy's still out there. Let's grab him. So uh, he's a Scott Boris client. See, like Boris, you know, does this more with his guys than most other agencies. Just has that confidence that someone's going to pay the price eventually. And of course, you'll have a couple witty comments and puns to throw in there as well about <laughs> Bellinger. It's always a fun thing to hear at the winter meeting and stuff like that. And obviously, Winter meetings was recent as well. What is that sort of, because Nico and I have obviously never been, and I assume most of our listeners haven't either. What is the winter meetings experience like? I know you were down there in Nashville a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's not like it used to be. And uh, it used to be where all the GMs were like at, uh, hanging around at the bar at night, get your information when they got a few drinks in them, that sort of <laughs> thing. Everybody's hanging out. Now the only thing you see is pretty much the agents and people looking for jobs. Uh it's not like it used to be. A lot of these eight, a lot of the uh, GMs and front offices, they stay in their suites. You won't see them. Only time you'll see them is checking in and checking out, and that's it. And usually, hardly anything ever happens. And same thing this time. And I'm not sure. You know, a couple small moves, uh, a couple small trades, but yeah, they become very dull. Um, you know, I think baseball worries about that. You know, GM meetings, nothing ever happens, but at least you get to see the GMs and talk. It's like the NBA, NFL, it was like a free agent frenzy. This is kind of good, you know, particularly now after both these guys are gone, it's been dribs and rabs, you know, all winter long. I mean, you know, free agent standing here, one there, but not, you know, not some fun filled days. Yeah. Do you think that's going to be kind of how it's going to be from now on? Where I think everyone, because of what the winter means, has been in the past, has expected big move after big move. Like we, dedicated a whole episode to like what's going to happen during the winter meetings and i feel like for the last couple of years like you said kind of been disappointing is that because everyone's staying in their suites not a lot of talking not a lot of drinks being had that's kind of going to be the status quo for the next couple of years yeah just you know it's getting worse and worse every year i did a big uh call and right for the winter meetings like hey nothing's going to happen otani is not going to happen and so they just, you know, people get off the plane, you know, uh, different uh, reporters and stuff and said, you know, really, I, I, I'm coming here for nothing. And so it's just the way it's become, you know, until they put a deadline on, it's almost like, you know, we see that in the summer with that, uh, you know, July 31st, August 1st trade deadline. You know, these teams can all make deals you know, at any time. 
You don't have to wait the last minute, but everybody wastes the last four four hours because uh, they need that deadline to make a move. Yeah, I would think, especially like winter meetings for me, like looking on it from the outside, winter meetings in Nashville, exactly the situation that you said that used to be where guys were at the bar having drinks. I mean, Broadway, I've been before, like that street's just amazing. I don't see how people would want to have fun in winter meetings. But again, like you said, I, I guess GMs would rather be boring and stay in their rooms. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it used to be uh, it's, uh, winter meetings will last like a week. Now it's they arrive uh, Sunday afternoon, sometimes Monday morning, and they had the Rule 5 draft uh, Wednesday, early afternoon, instead of Thursday. So people are, are there like you know less than 72 hours. So I have to ask those, do you have a favorite winter meeting story from all of your years covering? Was it a massive trade or signing that happened or an interaction that you might have had at the convention center? Well, the best the best trade ever, the, first time, the only time I ever witnessed this, was uh, so the Padres make the, a trade with the Toronto Blue Jays. So you're talking about a uh, you know Fred McGriff and uh, Tony Fernandez, you know coming over, coming over for uh, uh, Roberto Alomar, and uh, God, who was it? Uh, There's four people. They're all uh, they're all all stars. And uh, when the trade was announced, there was actually a gasp in the room. It was up, and people started cheering because it was such a monstrous trade. Uh, you know, a, a fabulous trade, and uh, oh, it was Joe Carter was the other one, and they uh, and so that one caught everybody by surprise. You heard rumors that hey, Alomar could be available, but no one, no one had all four names like that or thinking they'd make a monstrous move. And uh, it might have been the same winner means at least a uh, if not that one close by where Jack McKeon was a GM of the uh, Padres. I was covering the Padres. And he kept making move after move. And then at uh, one o'clock in the morning, he put a thing on the, uh, in the workroom, said, don't worry, I'll be back. And like at three in the morning, he made his last sign. I think he signed Fred Lynn. And uh, we're in a suite at four in the morning <laughs> talking about all the trades that were done. But yeah, he was a, uh, he loved the winter meetings and he would make things happen. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I think it sounds pretty similar to AJ Preller too, who seems to be, Willing and dealing a lot with the Seattle Mariners, but a lot with the Vado teams in general. And we'll see what the Padres have in store because definitely an interesting offseason to say the least about the Juan Soto trade, too. Yeah, you know, unfortunately for them, you know, they threw all the money out there. And uh, last year was a complete disaster. I think it was the most underachieving team in, in baseball history with all that star power. And uh, now they have to uh, cut back. They wanted to keep Soto, but they had to you know, clear the $30 million off the, off the payroll. You know, got some decent prospects back. And, uh, you know, even now they'd love to get Cody Bellinger. They'd love to get some other guys. But I think they only have about $20 million to spend. And they got about six or seven spots they need to fill. So kind of sad to see them, you know, going from a World Series contender or maybe a World Series favorite in some some places to now being, you know, if they're lucky, finish third place in the NL West. Yeah, that's a crazy thing. They're the NLCS literally two years ago at the Phillies. They were – a Bryce Harper home run away from actually being in the World Series to where they are now is definitely an interesting pivot. But another guy that's definitely, because you mentioned Bellinger is going to be out there for a while. Another guy that obviously for other reasons will probably be as well as Trevor Bauer. Is there any team even nibbling on that rod or is it just all quiet on the Western front there? Yeah, I think it's going back to the same uh, team in Japan. I talked to uh, one of our scouts there at the uh, uh, winter meetings. And he says, you're hearing anything on Bauer. 
And I said, no, not a, not a word. I don't think anybody's going to touch him. And it was good because we wanted to sign him back. So I, I, I think he actually signed a contract with him. You know, not that he can obviously leave. I'm sure there's a skate clause. But I haven't heard anybody with a fan base who want to do that. You know, it's a, uh, you, know, you talk to scouts. They'll go down to Mexico, everywhere else. They said the best reliever down there is Roberto Osuna. Remember how uh, he pitched so well for the uh, Houston Astros? He had the domestic violence thing. And now, even though he's probably better than 90% of relievers in baseball, no, nobody will uh, sign him. Yeah, it's definitely definitely an interesting place to be in the baseball market. And that obviously, we'll see what happens there. But there's one last guy that I'm obviously curious about. Definitely no issues really off the field there, but more just how much do relievers get paid? And that's Josh Hader. Because obviously last year, Edwin Diaz broke the record for most dollars by a relief pitcher in the market. And I'd assume Hader's trying to break that less than a year later, but always tough to trade and sign for a reliever with that amount of money given to him. It is. You're absolutely right. He wants, you know, five years at, uh, you know, I think Diaz is 102. I think he wants five years at 105. But just, you know, teams uh, get a uh, queasy about, you know, spending a lot of money relievers because it's so up and down. He's been very consistent. His stuff has dropped off a little bit, but just, you know, uh, Texas Rangers seem like the most obvious fit, but, you know, I'm not sure they want to spend that kind of money. If they do, it'd probably be more to get a, a Jordan Montgomery back. Uh, you know, the Dodgers, now you're with the tax threshold, they're paying about a 92% surcharge. I don't think they're going to do that, you know, for, for a hater, you know, Baltimore got Kimbrell, you know, on a one-year thing and, you know, uh, haters from the Baltimore area. So it'd be interesting to see where he goes. Uh, he may, he may have to take a shorter uh, contract, you know, maybe with an opt out in there, because everybody just seems reluctant to give him that kind of money. Uh, in the Philadelphia Phillies, seem like a natural fit, but talking to them, they seem completely out of it. Yeah. Do you think that now, like since Yamamoto and Otani, the two big guys of this free agency have signed, it's kind of gonna was like everyone's waiting for them. And now everything's going to kind of like filter through because there's like a ton of guys. I think everyone clearly agreed that it was Otani and Yamamoto as the top two. And everyone else was kind of in that tier below is now kind of when that second tier of your hater, your Montgomery, your belly. What we talked about belly, maybe waiting out, but all those other guys kind of starting to sign now that the market's maybe been set for this offseason. Well, particularly for the pitchers, I mean, position players, it shouldn't have stopped them at all. Uh, but for, for the pitchers, definitely. And there were a lot of people just waiting for Yamamoto to sign. So, like Blake Snell, there was no way he was going to sign before uh, Yamamoto because he said, you know, you know, originally we thought Yamamoto was going to get two hundred, you know, not three and a quarter. So now he can pick back off that thing and say, okay, I may not be worth three and a quarter, but I won two Cy Young awards. You know, how about two fifty with two seventy five? Montgomery's price too, Marcus Stroman. So I think we'll see a lot more pitching uh, signings now. And, you know, these guys are all human, too. Everybody wants to be signed before uh, New Year's. You got families you know, want to know where they're going to spend the year, spring training, housing, everything everything else. So a lot of times you'll see a lot of guys, you know, say, hey, let's get something done uh, before Christmas or at least before New Year's. Absolutely. And that's always a fun not to have a perfect segue there. But I'm always curious because obviously this time of year, holidays, New Year's, Christmas, you probably have all those fun festivities, too, happening in your household. What is the balance like as a reporter and that all of a sudden could be Christmas Eve, you're with the family and all of a sudden you get Marcus Stroman signing or Josh Hader signing. You're like, well, guys, got to go on my phone all of a sudden. Sorry. 
Yeah, and, and now it's like okay, there's not there's not that big guy to sign. You know, probably would be, uh, you know, if, if it's Blake Snell, uh, just since he just won the Cy Young Award, but not one uh, you know keep you attached to the phone. Like okay, if it you know breaks, you catch up sort of thing. I think with these two guys, guys were glued to their phone. I certainly was, particularly with Otani. Uh, you know, not knowing that could come and just how many people are interested. I mean, in Japan, it's you know they. They love baseball so much more than they do in the United States. I mean, it's everything to them. So, uh, but but now I think it's just a, a big drop off. I mean, no one's going to get seven hundred million. No one's going to get three hundred million. So, I, I think just the interest level uh, is going to pale in comparison to these two guys. Particularly when you had all the big markets after those two guys. Now you don't have the big markets all fighting for for anybody that's left. Yeah, absolutely. I think that especially in like these times, it's really difficult to like just have that balance. Um, Kind of like the close uh, me and Dylan, obviously big baseball fans. We wanted to give you just kind of a pitch, our two bold predictions, see what you think about them. See if we're just out of our minds and know nothing about baseball or if we're kind of thinking of something, how do you feel? Gotcha. I'm ready. All right. I guess I'll start with mine. Cause I think big one, hear me out. I think, in the offseason, I think Orioles trade for Dylan Cease. I think they needed an ace. I think that that was kind of the thing that was holding them back. They needed that true number one. Is that something that could happen? I mean, I feel like they have a lot of prospects. It seems like a perfect marriage. Uh, no, I mean, something that should happen, definitely. I've talked to the uh, White Sox people. You know, they were talking to Dodgers before. And they thought, you know, the blast now trade, the, the guy they sent back, uh, Papio, was a the guy they wanted. But, yeah, Orioles need to do this. They need a frontline starter. And remember, their GM used to work in uh, Houston or Jeff Lunau. And that's what they did. They had all the great prospects, and they went on and traded for Garrett Cole. They went and traded for Justin Berlander. These guys have more position players to know what to do with. Uh, so and I know that's, White Sox, that's who the White Sox prefer to deal with. If they trade Cease, they want them to go to Baltimore because they get their more farm system. You probably can get more from Baltimore than anybody else. So, no, I, I like that. It should happen. Uh, I think the Dodgers obviously are out on, on Cease. Uh, yes, there'll be, you know, a lot of teams want this guy. But, you know, Baltimore has the uh, the depth in the farm system to pull it off. I like it, Nico. Could be a GM in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at what I do, bro. Not just a fan. Oh, I love it. I went in a little bit of a different direction. I think that expansion could happen. And whether it was everyone being in Nashville lately, maybe that's a potential expansion city or somewhere else like Portland, Montreal. But I think it seems like MLB is starting to get that itch that it might be time to get up to 32 teams, especially since some of the relocation with the A's and the Rays is starting to get figured out. Yeah, that will happen. Just a question of when. Uh, at first, I thought it might be 2028. Now, I think maybe 2029 or 2030 at the earliest. Uh, you're right. They, they do want to uh, They want to go 32 teams for scheduling and everything else. And once they do that, they're going to blow up the leagues, uh, just going to do complete realignment. So, you know, the Yankees and Mets, you know, are on the same division, you know, that sort of thing. Cubs, White Sox, uh, and just change uh, with the, with the uh, travel and everything else. So I think Nashville's a slam dunk for one team. They would love to go to Montreal. They just need someone to step up and say, here's the stadium. Uh, here's this person will uh, own, own the team. Uh, Portland's still in the picture. Charlotte, you know, you don't hear much about Charlotte like you used to, but I would think that would be a great expansion site as well. 
Um, but I think, you know, definitely Nashville. Um, you know, now that the rate, the uh, A's are going to move to Vegas, and it looks like Tampa's same situation will finally get resolved. You know, I don't know Orlando wants a team, but, you know, two teams in Florida already aren't working, so I can't imagine yeah. a third team in there. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see who that second team is. Am I crazy? Yeah, I think they the Florida part. <laughs> <laughs> Am I crazy for thinking <laughs> Buffalo might work? Maybe that's just me being that the Bills are doing well, but it's pretty cold up there too. But I don't know if you put a roof on it. I mean, I mean, it could, uh, you know, work. I mean, obviously, you're, you're so close to, uh, you know, uh, they, they really want a second team in Canada if they can. But at least you're close to it. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if the Blue Jays would, uh, you know, how, how they would take it, you know, being so close and everything else. So they may have a problem with it. For years, they used to talk about Central Jersey having a team because so many fans in that area. But, you know, you'd have the Mets being complaining and Philadelphia Phillies too. So we'll see. But, but yeah, I think what they really want is, uh, you know, if I had to make a prediction right now, I'd go Nashville and probably Salt Lake City. They do have an ownership group there. They got the money. And I think they'll have to have one, one team east, one team west. I like it. I can't wait for the toxic division of Mets, Yankees, Phillies, and Red Sox going at it with each other 18 times a year. Those fan bases would uh, maybe self-destruct if that division were to occur. But definitely – fun to think about, especially on the reporting side of having to deal with all of those fan bases trying to win the same division every year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, uh, I mean, there's no better loyal fan base, uh, you know, than St. Louis, the Cardinals. I mean, uh, you know, people show up there, you know, five hours for game time, take pictures, run all the statues and, and hang out. You know, that's just, there's nothing else in town. That's what they love. I don't know they have the blues there, but it's not the same, but as far as East coast baseball, you said intensity, Nothing comes close, you know, nothing out West, nothing in Midwest. Uh, it's, it's a di different animal, particularly with the, the Phillies have come. I mean, that, that's that's a wild atmosphere now. It's, it's fun to be around. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been a blast getting to talk to you. Really appreciate you hopping on. We just want to say thank you as well, not only for taking time to talk with us during the middle of this, all this Yamamoto stuff, but also all the reporting you do, and you'll continue to do this out off season. I know. Nico and I are always amazed. How do you, you seem to know what's going to happen before stuff actually happens? And that's a dedication to the grind. And of course, we're really appreciative that you took some time out to talk to us as well. Yeah, my pleasure as always. Yeah, thanks, John. Thanks, Nico. And enjoy the holidays. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. So for Dylan Campione, Nico Fernandez, and Bob Nightingale, until the next time, the side is retired.